We are experiencing turbulent times in Israel today as the Israeli government is finally working on much needed judicial reform ever since former Chief Justice Aaron Barak began his creeping judicial activism back in the early 1990s that has literally broken the balance of power between the three branches of government in Israel, weakening Israeli democracy. This is a complex issue and little context is being given. Today, I will try to give you some of that important context. If you ask me, the protests and the headlines coming out of Israel today show that the political left in Israel does not truly care about democracy. And it makes me want to cry because there is so much good about the Jewish people out of the state of Israel today that is getting thrown aside and being ignored. Yet. The headlines in the media and the atmosphere that is being created makes caring supporters of Israel think that things are actually bad in Israel. And that is not true at all. The political left are today using great slogans to make everyone think that they actually care about democracy, to make everyone believe that they are the defenders of democracy. But it's far from the truth. The political leaders of the left are at the Knesset, Israel's parliament, and they could be attending the Knesset committee meetings to make the political compromises necessary in drafting the judicial reform bill. But they are not doing that. Instead, they are creating the atmosphere that democracy is being destroyed, and they are refraining from working together or even proposing any changes to the proposed judicial reform bill. They just want to kill the whole proposal, which is quite crazy since many of the leaders of the opposition, including Gidon Saar, Naftali Bennett's right-hand man Matan Kahana, and even opposition leader Yair Lapid, they have all publicly supported the need for judicial reform in the past. So stick with me until the end as I break down this issue and provide the context that is sorely missing in the daily reporting of this very important issue. So first, let's take a step back. Let's go to Winston Churchill, who famously once said the following quote, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. End quote from Winston Churchill. Now, Churchill highlights for us the basic fact that democracy is just a form of government. It's not a value in and of itself, and it's not at all perfect, since even democracy can easily be abused. The key to maintaining a fair and functioning democratic political system is the checks and balances that are instituted with it. As you know, Israel, the Jewish people, and the freedom for humanity are important values to me. And the democratic system has been the best of all forms of governance that has allowed for man to have freedom in today's world. Now, you always hear people say that Israel is a Jewish and democratic state, but that really is not accurate. Israel is a Jewish state, period, with a democratic political system. Again, as Churchill himself said, democracy is the worst form of government except for all of the others that have been tried. Democracy is a system, not a value. Freedom and equality are the values that democratic systems are supposed to protect, but democracy in and of itself is just a system of governance. Hence, it is a misnomer to say that Israel is a Jewish and democratic state. That is used by the legal system in Israel and the political left to weaken the Jewish character of the Jewish state of Israel, instead of acknowledging that it's a Jewish state with a democratic political system. Again, in reality, according to Israel's own declaration of independence, 
Just check the wording of the Declaration of Independence. Israel is a Jewish state that respects the rights of all. How? Well, that's the democratic political system we have. Why am I focusing on this issue? Because, sadly, anyone paying attention to the headlines coming out of Israel today, as I mentioned, are made to think that Israel's now proudly Jewish nationalist government is about to destroy Israeli democracy. Well, again, I'm here to explain to you why those headlines are bombastic, totally wrong, and just another scare tactic of the political left in trying to stop a democratically elected right-wing government in Israel from implementing its campaign promise for judicial reform. As commentator David Weinberg explains in this article titled, The Left's Old Trick, he writes, and I quote, This is an old trick that has been pulled by the Israeli left repeatedly to deliberately overstate and wildly overestimate threats against Israel, especially the threats of boycott, divestment, sanctions, lawfare, and economic ruin, all being used today, again, against this judicial reform. Time and time again, this has proven to be unsubstantiated doom and gloom meant to frighten the Israeli public into retreat and withdrawal on the Arab front. And then he continues writing how it's being used now regarding this judicial reform. That's David Weinberg. So now, before I go into the details, I just want to thank each and every one of you again for joining me, Avi Abelo, for another episode of The Pulse of Israel with the politically incorrect truth about Israel, the Jewish people, and the freedom-loving world. If you are not yet a subscriber, just visit pulseofisrael.com and click to subscribe. And if you like this video and you want to help us get seen by more people, just click on the donate button so we can promote it for more people to see it. Okay, this will sound a little harsh, but it's actually very true and deep. While the political left in Israel screams about protecting democracy, unfortunately, they really don't care about democracy. The daily news in Israel is spending overtime reporting on the protests on the political left screaming about how the proposed judicial reform by the new government is a danger to Israel's democracy. But the truth is 180 degrees the opposite. The political left in Israel doesn't care about democracy. They just care about what? Retaining the power they hold over Israel and the Israeli government system via the judicial system. Hence, they are going crazy as it looks they might lose that power. Now, I'm not just saying this out of the blue. Let's look over a few examples. First of all, the utter hypocrisy of opposition leader Yair Lapid. Just the other day, in addressing Israel's parliament, the Knesset, in honor of Israel's parliament's 74th anniversary, opposition leader Yair Lapid warned that the government's planned judicial overhaul will tear Israeli society in two. And I'm quoting him, The price of the legislation that you are leading now is not just erasing democracy, it is the painful destruction of our joint existence. We are one nation, one family, and it is tearing us apart. This house for 74 years symbolized our ability to live together, the ability to overcome every hurdle. The idea that we struggle and there is always one side that wins but the other side does not disappear, it has a place and a voice. This house symbolized the fact that we are different, but that there is a common good. For the first time in my life, I am concerned that it won't survive. If the government completes the legislative process it began, it will be irreparable. The fracture will be too deep. Already now, more and more people are saying to themselves that we are no longer one people, that their country has given up on them. That's what Lapid said. Very caring, very emotional, right? You think, wow, he really cares. But what Yair Lapid is conveniently forgetting to tell us all 
is how he supported the 2005 Gaza disengagement plan, not be for peace, but because, as he said in his own words back in a 2006 article that he wrote, it would weaken the national religious public in Israel. That's why he supported the plan, to weaken the national religious public in Israel. Let me remind you what the Gaza disengagement plan of 2005 was about. It was the Israeli government deciding to destroy 21 Jewish communities in the Gaza Strip and forcefully expelling around 10,000 Jews from their homes where they have lived for decades. This literally tore the nation and the state of Israel apart. The only reason there was no civil war back then was because the national religious public in Israel knew that the unity of the Jewish people was more important than anything else. So we protested. Yes, me as well. We did whatever we could using the democratic tools available to stop that horrible plan, but we did not use violence or threaten to use violence to stop that extremely damaging, destructive, and dangerous disengagement plan. The crazy thing is that the Gaza expulsion plan wasn't even passed in a democratic fashion by the government. The rules of democracy were totally trampled upon by the government with the support of the legal system, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So while opposition leader Yair Lapid is making himself out to be a defender of democracy and the unity of the Jewish people in Israel in standing up to today's government plan for judicial reform, Lapid is truly anything but. He has proven to us all that to him, democracy is just a word to throw around because he quite publicly and excitedly supported creating a massive division within the Jewish people when it suited his ideology back in 2005. And Lapid is just one example. Stick with me as, as I now do a deep dive into a few more examples. And I'm actually going to go back to the destruction of those 21 Jewish communities in the Gaza Strip during the summer of 2005 because it is full of undemocratic examples. All right, let's start with the election campaign for the historic 2003 elections before the 2005 disengagement from Gaza. Amram Mitzna was the head of the leftist Labor Party at the time, and he campaigned on a platform that proposed the expulsion of all 10,000 Jews from the Gaza Strip. Ariel Sharon was the leader of the Likud Party, and he vehemently opposed leaving any part of Gaza or expelling any Jews. Sharon famously stated during that election campaign, and I quote, the fate of Netzarim, a Jewish town in Gaza Strip, is the fate of Tel Aviv. Meaning that to him, expelling Jews from Netzarim was equivalent to expelling Jews from Tel Aviv. He would never do it. It's all Israel. Sharon won the elections in the biggest landslide in Israeli history. His Likud party received 40 seats in the 120-seat Knesset to Labor's 19. They were thrashed. The concept of expelling Jews from Gaza was clearly rejected by the Israeli public. So we were all shocked when after Sharon became prime minister, he then abruptly made a 180-degree about-face and pushed for the expulsion of Jews from Gaza, the exact plan he campaigned against and won the public support. So now let's understand some context. At that time, the legal establishment put together a corruption case against Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. Guess what? As soon as Sharon started pushing the plan to expel the Jews from Gaza, the legal establishment dropped the corruption cases against him. Coincidence? Well, let's watch what this legal correspondent for Israeli TV, Amnon Abramovich, had to say. He is one of the senior legal correspondents on Israeli television. Let's see. <laughs> 
שבאמת מסוגל לבצע את הדבר הזה. הרי הוא הקים את הדבר הזה. לדעתי צריך לשמור עליו לא רק מפני הגלים הפוליטיים, אלא גם מפני גלים משפטיים שניסו להגיש עליו. אני דיברתי קודם על ההתרוגיות, אז נכון קצת להסתייג, אני מוכן לבוא לקראתו, ההתרוגיות עד סוף ספטמבר 2005, אחר כך נשקול מחדש. until after he would fulfill their dream ideological plan of expelling the Jews from the Gaza Strip. But that is not all. The opposition to Sharon from within his voter base was tremendous. We all voted for him to not do that. And he totally went against all of our votes. So the Likud party had a referendum of its membership that Sharon promised to abide by. Democracy, right? Guess what? Sharon lost the vote. The majority of Likud members were against the Gaza expulsion plan. How surprising! But despite losing the referendum, Sharon promptly proceeded to ignore the result of the vote and went ahead with the Gaza expulsion plan. Again, totally trampling upon the rules of democracy. Now, you'd think the media would crucify him for trampling upon the rules of democracy, right? No! Not at all. The media, which is again ideologically left, encouraged Sharon and celebrated him trampling democracy because again they ideologically supported the expulsion of Jews from Gaza. But guess what? That's not all. Next there was another hurdle of a government cabinet decision to vote for the Gaza expulsion plan. Most of the government ministers were against the plan. Sharon and the media knew that he was going to lose the cabinet vote. So what did Sharon do? He took the unprecedented step of firing two government ministers to create an artificial majority right before the cabinet vote in order to secure a majority for the vote. That should have led to an outcry from the media, right? The defenders of democracy. Wrong. No outcry. Silence. Absolute silence from the media about this unprecedented and undemocratic step. No, instead of screaming about democracy being trampled upon, the media celebrated his undemocratic steps and the legal establishment and all the attorney generals and Supreme Court were silent as well. When the Israeli public saw that all the democratic norms were being trampled upon by the prime minister with the backing of the media and the Supreme Court and legal establishment, Israelis took to the streets to protest. The last democratic act we had to do, and yes, I was one of those many hundreds of thousands of protesters. The amount of protests and protesters was unprecedented in Israeli history. Some protests even had thousands and thousands of whole families leaving their homes and camping out in tents overnight in various protest locations across the country and leaving their homes for nights, if not even weeks and months. And even here, the Supreme Court, the legal establishment, and the media led the undemocratic treatment of the peaceful protesters. Now, Israel, like America, cherishes the basic democratic rights of its citizens, including free speech and peaceful assembly. Yet these democratic rights were trampled upon by the state of Israel when it dealt with the anti-expulsion protesters. Furthermore, the rules of proper judicial procedure and punishment were trampled on as well by the justice system when it came to dealing with the anti-expulsion protesters. 
This is explained very clearly in a report issued by the Israel Policy Center called Israeli Government Violations of Disengagement Opponents' Civil Rights. I added the link to the report below. And here I'm just going to give you some quotes. But the report reveals that then Attorney General Menachem Mezuz made it clear to state prosecutors in public remarks that they were to treat nonviolent peaceful protesters as if they were involved in a rebellion against state authorities with the purpose of destroying the state and its institutions. Not only was the protesters' democratic right to nonviolently demonstrate taken away from them, but they were classified as rebels out to destroy the state of Israel. That was done by the justice system. A very harsh judicial precedent indeed against mostly teenagers of the religious settler establishment. Now, the report states, by choosing to reclassify nonviolent offenses such as blocking roads and passively resisting arrest, usually considered misdemeanors, as crimes against public security, and by invoking what the accused thought while performing them, Israeli courts justify draconian measures of pretrial detention against adults and minors alike. In the case of three minors detained for lengthy periods of time, summarized below, the presumed ideological tendency of the minors' parents was used as justification for refusing to return the minors to their parents' custody. The conflation of the parents' presumed ideology with their evident religious lifestyle is hard to miss. The report cites a number of cases. In one, the prosecution wanted to arrest a group of girls prior to their trial in order to, quote, prevent them from making their dangerous opinions heard even inside their own homes. And it also argued that, quote, re-education could be an appropriate reason for restricting their freedom, end quote. The report clearly points out that the phrase ideological crime, or in Hebrew, avaryanut ideologit, pops up again and again in court decisions regarding opponents of the disengagement, not actions according to law, but their ideologies. The picture that emerges from the report is that the government allowed its judicial arm to pass judgment against protesters based on their ideology and beliefs and not based on human rights or the rule of law. This was all done by the Attorney General, government legal advisors, and supported by the Supreme Court itself. So don't let anyone tell you that the justice system is the defender of democracy, because the justice system can be as big of an abuser of the law in the name of the law. That's why checks and balances are so necessary between the three branches of government. Now, that is just one of many examples, with many of the little examples, where the legal establishment and the media were active partners in the trampling of democracy. Some people might say, oh, Avi, well, that was way back then in 2005, 2006. Oh, old history. Well, plenty of examples have taken place over the years since then. But let's just jump ahead to a few months ago to when Yair Lapid was Prime Minister agreeing to a gas deal with the terrorist Hezbollah-run state of Lebanon. Even though this deal had grave geopolitical implications, including Israel's maritime borders and potential impact on future border disputes, the legal establishment allowed former Prime Minister Lapid to agree to the deal without a vote in Israel's parliament, something that many legal experts said went against Israeli law. Again. There was no outcry just a few months ago from the legal establishment or the media against that extremely questionable political decision by Lapid.
the bottom line is that the hypocrisy of those protesting today about protecting democracy and saving democracy screams to the high heavens. Now, I want to jump to a different point, and I can never say this enough, but the ones protesting outside today, getting all the headlines, are a tiny minority in Israel. Israel just had elections, and all the parties that are in today's coalition publicly supported making changes to the judicial system. So we're following democracy by having this government implementing judicial reform. And hence, total hypocrisy for demonstrators to say that the process is undemocratic. They could talk about what needs to be changed or they don't like or whatever, but this is following a democratic process. The problem is that anyone who reads or listens to any of the establishment media is made to believe that the protesters are speaking on behalf of a large section of the Israeli population, but they are not. They are a tiny minority. But the media makes them seem huge and amplifies this small public into a major problem that the whole world must care about, the whole Jewish people around the world must care about. Well, the other thing that the media does to help the protest movement is create straw man arguments to delegitimize the plans of the right. So, the media, together with the political left, make everyone think that Netanyahu and his government can't be involved in judicial reform because Netanyahu has court cases against him. So, this causes many right-wing voters who want judicial reform, they support it. Well, they think, well, yeah, it's true, it doesn't look good that Bibi or a government under him is involved in judicial reform. Let's wait till, these, till, those till make these changes when Bibi is no longer prime minister. But they are ignoring the fact that if and when that day would come, and Bibi would no longer be prime minister, the political left will then make up a different straw man argument, and they're using a few straw man arguments right now to make people on the right feel uncomfortable and embarrassed about this government making the changes, the necessary changes to the judicial system. And the political left, together with the media, successfully do this all the time, always creating straw man arguments to make right-wingers feel uncomfortable about pursuing the ideological agendas that they support and vote for. Guess what? The political left is never embarrassed about the undemocratic policies and undemocratic ways that they push their policies. They never apologize for it. And they continue with their undemocratic ways in the name of what? Democracy. In reality, though, it is the Israeli right that respects democratic norms when they are in power, while it is the political left in Israel that discards them, yet talks as if they are the ones protecting democracy. The truth is that time after time over the years, the political left in Israel has abused the judicial system and the Supreme Court to squash Israel's democratic system and instead push their own political ideological agenda. That is what the judicial reform wants to change, to strengthen Israeli democracy by rebalancing the separation of powers between the legislative, the executive, and the judicial, where today the judicial has more power. Now, we did not go into the details of the judicial reform, but I have interviewed the head of the Justice and Constitution Committee of the Knesset in the past, Simcha Rothman, about the changes needed to the justice system in Israel. But I hope this gives you a better understanding of the need for judicial reform in Israel and the proper context to the headlines that the establishment media is not telling all of us. And with that, I want to sign off from the seat of eternal truth for all of humanity, the eternal and indivisible capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem, since King David's time. Thanks for watching, everyone. Signing off for another episode of the Pulse of Israel. Pulse of Israel, frontline videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.